0: to Matthew chapter 21 for this morning's message and for our time together here today. If you are new to Crosslink, we have been in a sermon series recently entitled Instructions Included. And what we largely have been looking at has, has been how to care for, how to lead parents in about 100 if not a million situations have lamented the fact that children do not come with an instruction manual. There are no doubt situations that you're in as a parent along the way that you're like, man, I wish someone just told me what to do. I wish I had some instructions like step by step of what to do in this situation, but children didn't come with that instruction manual. However, God did not leave us without help, and he did not leave us without direction, of course. Through salvation, we have the Holy Spirit, but we also have his word. And God and his word gives us blueprints and guidelines for how we are to love, how we are to lead, how we are to serve and care for children. The Bible tells us that every child is a gift from God. It does not matter their race. It does not matter their background. It does not matter the situation by which they have been born into. Every child is a gift from God. And with that gift, God has much to say to the church today. Maybe you're here this morning listening to this message and think, well, wait a second, Pastor. I don't know that this message applies to me because I don't have children of my own. Or perhaps you would say, well, pastor, my children are already grown and gone. How does this apply to me? But I'm reminded in every single lesson that we've learned so far, they largely apply to us in the body of Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have a direct calling and responsibility from God in the way that you care for and minister to children. In the church especially, we have a calling from God to pray for them, to train them and ultimately to model for them what it means to love and live for Jesus Christ. But even children who are not in the church, God's calling for us is to care for them, to look out for their well-being and ultimately find ways through our life and through our testimony to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe God has much to say to us today. And so, so far, we've learned the importance of dedicating children to the Lord. We've learned the importance of leading children to the Lord. We've learned the importance of building up children in the Lord and making sure that our life is a stepping stone to help them know the Lord and grow in him and not a stumbling block. But today, we come to an instruction that I believe perhaps might be the most surprising of all. And that is that we have an instruction from the Lord to actually learn from children, God wants us in our life to learn many things from the example of a child. And of course, perhaps you've been around children enough in your life, whether they're your own or not, to recognize there's a lot of lessons you can learn from children. No doubt we can learn humility from a child and we can learn how to laugh from a child. We can learn how to not take ourselves so seriously by spending time with children. But in Christ, There's also many spiritual truths and practices that we can learn through the practical example of a child. And I believe God wants us to see that today in Matthew chapter 21. Notice what the Bible says. I wanna ask you physically if you're able to do so. Will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Listen to what the Bible says. We're gonna really read all these verses, but focus in particularly on verses 14 through 16. When they had approached Jerusalem and come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them Go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her untie them and bring them to me If anyone says anything to you you shall say The Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them This took place to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet Say to the daughter of Zion Behold your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey even on a colt the foal of a beast of burden The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowd's going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, listen to this, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, All the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple. He drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple, overturning the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a robber's den. Now listen to verses 14 and 15 especially. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. Learning from the example of children. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for this simple but powerful example of these children in the temple that day shouting aloud, Hosanna to the son of David. May this simple but powerful example today encourage us convict us and transform us in the way that we view you and the way that we worship you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated here this morning. There are no doubt many things that we can learn from the example of of children, I remember being reminded of that many years ago as we had, of course, we have several children, but I believe at that time it was my second child that was playing soccer and I was coaching her in soccer for just a brief period of time. And I remember starting with this soccer team being so excited thinking, you know what, I wanna teach them this and I wanna teach them that. And so I was very structured and I had a very clear guidelines. I want them to learn this on the first practice and I want them to learn this on the second practice and, and everything was going well or so I thought. But I realized about the third practice into the season that the kids were not paying attention to me at all. All they really wanted to do was to run in circles and have fun and play hopscotch and other things. They really weren't focused on soccer. And so I began to realize, you know what, I've got to figure out something. And so I asked Gracie on the way home one day, Gracie, why why are y'all not enjoying it? And she said, Daddy, it's not fun to which I quickly realized that I needed to do something to make it more fun and involving for kids. And so I talked to another coach who told me about a very creative game called Kick the Coach. Sounds very exciting, right? And basically in the context of the game, the coach just kind of runs around the field and the kids have to kick the soccer ball and the whole goal is they're trying to get the ball to hit you and if it hits you so many times then you fall down in the feet. And so sure enough, that's exactly what I did. And so they would kick the ball and sometimes it would hit me. And after it hit me like the 10th time, I fell down in the feet. I made it really dramatic, which I know is hard for you to believe, but I fell down in the feet. And then something happened that I didn't expect. As I fell down in the feet, flat on my face, guess what all those kids did? They dogpiled on top of me. That's what they did, Right. And all of a sudden, soccer was fun, and we ended up having an amazing season and learned a whole lot of skills. But they taught me in that moment, don't take myself too seriously. The reality, though, is spiritually in Christ, there are many things that we can learn from children, specifically in the way that they view the Lord Jesus Christ, the way they respond to the Lord Jesus Christ, and ultimately, even in the way they worship him. Here in Matthew chapter 21, frankly, we have an incredibly rich Passage of Scripture. Truth be told, it, Matthew chapter twenty-one records this. But frankly, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of John all record this specific day and moment in the life of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this week in your worship, God. Every week we have Scripture reading. This week, make sure you read those passages of Scripture because what you're going to do is this: you're going to see this same account from several different perspectives and you will find some incredible details of all that was transpiring as you put it all together. This is an incredible moment And frankly, if we wanted to, for the rest of the summer, we could unpack this one chapter of scripture as we talk about God's sovereignty over all things. We talk about Jesus's authority of all things. Here he is literally uh, an unbroken foal, unbroken cult, completely obeying the word of Christ. We could talk about the disciples trusting the Lord and obeying, even when they didn't understand how it was going to unfold. We could talk about the temple and the purpose, and we could talk about prayer. There's so much we could do. In many ways, by really focusing on the children, I feel like we're walking to an enormous treasure chest and we're simply grabbing a few nuggets of value. I want to challenge you to really dig into God's word and study this pastor scripture in greater detail. But I do want us to see this pastor scripture unfold through the eyes, and through the illustration of a child. I believe there's much that God wants us to see about learning from the example of children. So four things that we're gonna focus on this morning about learning from their example. Number one is the simple truth about children. Children are shaped by what they learn from others. Children are shaped by what they learn from others. This pastor scripture in Matthew chapter 21 in recording one of the most significant moments in the life of Jesus is recording the triumphal entry Of Christ this is a significant moment in Jesus's life for basically three years now he has already been ministering he has been teaching he's been performing miracles but most of the time up to this point Jesus has done things that have kept things fairly private on many occasions for example he's worked a miracle and he has said don't tell anyone On many occasions, even in that moment where the crowd was there wanting to bring more fame and attention, so to speak, on many occasions, Jesus would just kind of slip away through the crowd. Often at times, this was to protect the people, and other times, it was because Jesus knew what the Pharisees were up to, and Jesus knew that it was not yet his time for his death and for his burial and even for his resurrection, and so something different's happening in Matthew 21, Jesus is acknowledging and very much aware that this is his final week before he's to be crucified. So not to be done privately, but to be publicly, here he is not only allowing, but even orchestrating the events for which he would enter Jerusalem. And the Bible says, he looks at the disciples, the two of them, and he says, now listen, I want you to go over there, and I want you to find the donkey and her colt, and I want you to bring them to me. They go, just as Jesus says. They find the donkey and the colt, just as Jesus says. They bring them back to Jesus. And the Bible says that the disciples begin to take off their outer coats and they place them on the back of the donkey. Why? Because they were making a saddle for him. Jesus then gets up on the donkey. And the Bible says that the people who were there with him, according to John chapter 12, these are the very people in John chapter 11 who had just witnessed the the fact that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. The resurrection of Lazarus is the background for this passage of Scripture. So in John chapter 12, the Bible says they began to worship Jesus. They began to take off their own outer coats. They're laying them literally out on the path. They're taking palm branches and they're cutting them down. They're laying them down as an act of devotion to Jesus as a king. Why? How does this pertain to kids? It pertains to kids in the fact that all the while, the children are there watching and observing taking in all that is unfolding in this moment. Can you imagine a more humble scene than to recognize that the king of kings and the Lord of lords enters Jerusalem, the holy city, on that of a donkey? It was a direct fulfillment of the prophecy, Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, that had been spoken 500 years earlier when the Bible says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Behold, listen to this statement, your king is coming to you. He is just, and he is endowed with, what's the next word? Salvation, he is humble, and guess what? He's mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. All this is happening in Matthew 21 as fulfillment of God's prophecy, of Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. So how are children shaped by the influence of others? They're shaped by the simple fact, they're shaped by the example that they see. Children are incredibly observant to the things that they are seeing around them. They learn from those examples, good or bad. I remember many years ago now, I was probably in my first year of middle school, and I was playing sports. I had played a basketball game, and it was not a good game, and it was not a good outcome. And I was convinced it was all the referee's fault. And I remember, still to this day, I remember getting in the family vehicle after the game and my mom being the encourager and saying, great game, son, great game. And I remember saying a statement about the refs and the game, frankly, that was highly inappropriate. Frankly, it was so inappropriate, I deserved to be disciplined for it and therefore I'm not repeating it today. And I remember still to this day her saying to me, Matthew Kirkland, where did you hear that? You should never say, you can't say that again in this vehicle. And no sooner had she asked me, where did you hear that, that my father got in the vehicle, got in the front seat and said the same thing. (laughs) And in my self-righteous justification, I remember looking at her like, that's probably you know. (laughs) And I never got disciplined for it. But the reality is, is that whether I realize it or not, I was being shaped by the example that I saw. These children in this moment are being shaped by the example that they see. What are they seeing? They are seeing people worship Jesus. Now, they had heard about his teachings, no doubt. They had heard about his miracles, no doubt. But here in this moment, there are grown adults who are shouting out loud, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. That name, Hosanna, is powerful. It was not only a statement affirming the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, but it's a statement of salvation. The name Hosanna literally means grant salvation. It is spoken as a word of exclamation, a word of urgency. It's literally like they're saying, Savior, save us now. And as they throw their coats in the road and as they lay those palm branches, it's literally like they're rolling up the red carpet for Jesus. There's no mistake about it. They are looking to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, you are the Savior, save us now. They said, Hosanna to the son of David. That phrase, son of David, was a reminder to them That Jesus was indeed the long-awaited Messiah, as we'll see in just a moment. So the children are being shaped and influenced by the things they're seeing in the example that is before them. So powerful were the actions and the example of these adults that even as the procession makes their way into Jerusalem, the whole town, the Bible says, is stirred up and the people begin asking, who is this? So they're shaped by the example that they saw, but they're also shaped by the explanations that they heard. Because the Bible says that when the crowd asked, who is this, they declared, this is Jesus of Nazareth. This is the prophet Jesus of Nazareth from Galilee. Now, please understand in this moment, as they're declaring Hosanna to the son of David, that name son of David would have significant impact on the people in the Jewish culture. All the way back in 2 Samuel chapter seven, God had promised David specifically, David, from your lineage, There will be one who will come to rule and to reign, and his kingdom will never end. He will reign for all of eternity. This one is the Messiah. This one is the anointed one. This one is the Savior of the world. And in this moment, as they declare Hosanna to the son of David, and Jesus allows it, what everybody in the crowd understood was they were declaring that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now, I don't know if you remember or not. It's been many months But back in December, when we were going through our Christmas series of sermons, every passage of scripture that we looked at referred to Jesus specifically as the son of David. The angel told Mary in Luke chapter 1 these simple words, he, your child, will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of who? Of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. The angel told Mary, your child is going to be the long-awaited son of David, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And now that Jesus has taught, and now that Jesus has worked all these miracles, the crowd just witnessing the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, they're recognizing this is him, this is the one we've been looking for. Call off the search, this is our Savior. And there are the children watching it, seeing it all as it unfolds as they hear the explanation of who Jesus is. To be clear, we'll look in a lot further detail in just a moment as the children worship Jesus in the temple. But I think we need to start kind of asking the question, well, where did they learn who Jesus is? And where did they learn how to praise him? And where did they learn to worship him as the Savior? And I think we need to start by recognizing they learned it from the example of the adults In that public setting, as they enter Jerusalem, and there they worship Jesus. To me, it stands for us as a powerful reminder of two specific things. One, it's a reminder that we need to be careful and considerate of our example. You may feel like nobody's watching you, but someone's watching you, and someone's learning from you. They're determining whether or not your professions of faith in Jesus are real, not by what you say, but by what you do. The reality is, for us as parents, especially, we need to be reminded as we lead our children that much more is caught than taught, and we can't give what we don't live. Many of us in the church today have lamented the fact that oftentimes it's not uncommon for a child to be raised in church and for a child to make a profession of faith and maybe even to be involved in student ministry. And so often by the times they get into those senior years or even go off into college, it seems that they're distancing themselves and their faith is growing cold and they're not involved in the church. And we've lamented that. And there's a lot of contributing factors of that, but so often one of the major issues is that for years they have seen an outward practice, they've seen a public profession of faith, but they haven't seen the evidence in our private lives. The question for us to consider is what are we truly demonstrating through our example and by our actions? The fact of the matter is children are shaped by the example and the influence of others. But it also bring about a second reminder, and that is this, children are very teachable. They are influenced by what they're watching, by what they're seeing. They're very teachable. And so it brings about a question in our own life. Are we teachable? Do we feel that we've arrived? Do we feel that we know all the answers? Do we feel like because of our education or our experience, our years of wisdom, so to speak, do we feel like we know it all? Or are we teachable and able to be influenced even like that of a child? Children are shaped by the things Around Number two, children are sensitive to the things of God. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen? Children are sensitive to the things of God. There are some scholars today who believe that these children in the temple were likely the age of 12 because in that culture especially, Jewish boys made their first trip to the temple to worship as a young man at the age of 12. Jesus himself had that practiced by his parents. But I don't know that that's true. In fact, Jesus' statement about Infants and nursing babies would seem to suggest that there are children of every age in the temple at that moment. But what we see in this moment is this. Children are sensitive to the things of God. We oftentimes, because we get distracted, because we're busy, because we have heavy things on our heart and mind, or frankly, because we look at science, or we look at this, or we look at that, and we like to discuss and to debate and to delay and to ignore, but the reality is, Children are incredibly perceptive to the things of God. And we see that unfold in three ways. One of them I've kind of already illustrated, but first, notice what they saw. They not only saw these adults worshiping Jesus and declaring, He is Hosanna to the Son of David, but the Bible says as Jesus enters the temple, according to John chapter 12, Jesus, as he approached Jerusalem, was weeping. And the weeping was there because he knew the hard hearts of Jerusalem. He knew that the people were going to reject him. He knew that he'd soon be crucified. He's weeping. And then as he makes his way into Jerusalem, he comes to the temple. Something very sad and sobering was happening in the temple that day. And sadly, it's not all that uncommon even in our day. And that is the people who had been called to serve the Lord And lead others in worship of him had become highly corrupt. And in their corruption, they began to pollute and compromise the very purposes of why the temple even existed. The temple existed to be a place for people to come to worship God, for people to come together to pray, for people to come to grow in relationship with God. But the Jewish corrupt leaders of the day had made what was intended to be a place of worship of God to be a place of wealth for themselves. Jewish historians tell us today that literally what had happened is because Jewish people came from all these distant lands, initially to make it easy for them, the Jewish leaders began to set up basically means of purchasing animals that would be offered in the sacrifices, Initially it was intended for a good thing but after a while the corrupt Jewish leaders because of the greed in their own heart realized there's a way we can make a profit off of this. After all to offer a sacrifice in that day the high priest had to approve it and he did not have to approve an animal that he didn't know its origin. So picture the scene You've got Jewish people traveling from all these different distant lands, coming to Jerusalem, exchanging money at higher rates than normal, purchasing animals at higher prices than normal, also the purpose of the religious leaders were taking advantage of those who were worshiping. Surely that would never happen today. But that's what was happening. In fact, Jewish historians tell us today that Annas, the high priest, was actually the leader of the whole enterprise. Jesus goes to the temple. Jesus sees the corruption. He sees how people are using the temple for their own glory, their own greed, their own purposes. He sees how the religious leaders have neglected their responsibilities and callings from God and instead are using this as a means to make a buck. And the Bible says that Jesus went in, frankly, he cleaned house. Now, this shouldn't surprise us. In fact, the Bible tells us in John chapter two, Jesus also had already done this as he began his earthly ministry. Now here he is in the final week of his life before he is crucified, and he is once again restoring order and restoring proper purpose and worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God the Father himself. The Bible says in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple. He drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. He overturned their tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And to that I say, amen, hallelujah. He's putting things aright. And then he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a robber's den. What are the children seeing? The children are seeing not only people worship Jesus as the Savior, but they're seeing Jesus with authority remind the highest leaders in the land at that time that this temple exists for one purpose and one purpose only, that we might know the Father and worship him as such, not for man's own glory and purpose. But now I do, I want you to see what they saw. I want you to see what they sensed. This is awesome. As soon as Jesus Restores order in the temple. And notice what happens. Verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. In other words, as people were coming to Jerusalem to the temple to worship, there were others as well. The blind and the lame had been there, off in the distance. The blind and lame had been there. They too were there to worship, but because, frankly, of their needs and because of the way society viewed them, because they didn't have immediately anything to offer, the religious leaders kept them at a distance. But now that Jesus has the right priorities restored in the temple, here's what he does. He invites the blind and he invites the lame in. Now, this should not surprise us. Listen to Luke chapter 14 as Jesus also gives this teaching about how we care for one another in the context of the body of Christ. Listen to what he says, verse 12 of Luke 14. He went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, listen to this, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." In other words, Jesus was saying to them, listen, I want you to remember in those moments of celebration, those moments of feasting, don't just go for the people that you like or the people that you love or the people you can benefit from or even the people you're close to. Look for the blind and the lame and the crippled. Look for the outcast. Look for those who've been rejected. Look for those that the world doesn't care about and you show them kindness and compassion. Isn't it interesting that when worship's restored in the temple, that's the first thing that's restored? As the blind and the lame, now come, and Jesus heals them. You continue reading in Luke chapter 14, literally as the servant goes and invites people to come in, there's still room, and Jesus literally says, then I want you to go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them all to come in so that my house can be filled. Please understand what the children sensed in this moment is this. The religious leaders were only interested in what they could personally benefit from the resources of others. But Jesus shows what he valued most was not resources, but the life of those people themselves. He desired that they would be healed, that they would be set free, that they would worship. Jesus invited them all. And here the children are watching it all as the adults have worshiped Jesus. As Jesus exercises authority, reminds them of the purpose of the temple, and they're watching it all as Jesus goes for those who've been neglected and forsaken, and he welcomes them. What I want you to see is what they're sensing is this. They are seeing the compassion, the grace, the mercy, the care of the Lord Jesus Christ that literally he cares for all, and it shouldn't be that surprising. That prophecy in Isaiah 53 that was given almost 700 years earlier about the purpose of the temple says it this way, Isaiah 56, verse 7. Even those, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for a few of the peoples. Is that what it says? My house will be called a house of prayer for the elite people, the wealthy people, the religious people. No, 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 no. My house will be called a house of prayer for who? All the peoples. And here the children are seeing it and sensing it firsthand. Finally, I want you to see what they said. This reality of the care and compassion, the mercy of Jesus, the welcoming of all, led the children to respond in a profound way. How did they respond? It's simple, but it's awesome. The Bible says this. The children were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Here's the point. When the children shout Hosanna to the son of David, this is not merely them following the example of the adults. Mom and daddy did this, I should probably do this too. No, no, no. This is them with conviction. This is them with affirmation, agreeing with, professing their faith in who Jesus really is. Remember that name, Hosanna. It literally means, Savior, save us now, grant salvation now. When they shout, Hosanna to the Son of David, what they're recognizing is this, Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world, and they're recognizing his compassion. Lord, would you save us, even us now? Surely, if you would save the blind and the lame, the crippled and the outcast, surely, Lord Jesus, you will save even us as a child. There are some today who would say, well, children, they can't be saved yet. You've got to be a certain age before you can be saved. Oftentimes, when we have baptisms here, someone will inevitably ask the question, why are children allowed to be baptized? Because children can know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You do not have to have an academic degree, have a certain level of you know, years, so to speak. All you must understand is that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the grave, that you are a sinner in need of salvation and confess Jesus as Lord. Some say, yeah, but what about such and such and such and such? Anything else beyond that is you adding to Scripture. Romans chapter 10 says it this way. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be Approved by the elder board. No. You will be ready to meet my man-made requirements. No. You will be saved. Is God's word true or is it a lie? You will be saved. Eve goes on to explain, for with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. He goes on verse 13, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord, well, what's the age requirement? For whoever will call on the name of the Lord. Well, how are they raised? For whoever will call on, Well, what's their race? How much what? Well, no, no, no. Whoever calls on the Lord will be saved. We are not saved by our race, our background, or what any other man may require. We are saved by the grace of God, and we experience that salvation when we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord. That is a wonderful promise of God's word, but there's a warning there, isn't there? That warning is you can go to church every day of your life, you can know every scripture in the Bible, but if you have not believed in Jesus and confessed Him to be Lord of your life, you're not saved. It causes us to recognize the incredible promise, but it also causes us to really examine, are we genuinely saved? When these children in this moment declare Hosanna, that Jesus was indeed just that. He was the Savior. Yes, children are shaped by the example of others, but they're sensitive to the things of the Lord. Number three, I love this. Children are spirited in their worship. If you're still with me, would you say, all right? right. Children are spirited in their worship. Anybody ready to get uncomfortable this morning? Oftentimes, in the context of worship, especially as we gather on Sunday mornings, it's very easy to get distracted, isn't it? We can get distracted by our own lives. Man, what are we doing afterwards? Where are we going to lunch? What are our plans for that? What do I need to get done? We can even be distracted on a Sunday morning, like, hey, there's a word misspelled up here on the screen. Who's going to fix that thing? Right? Right? There's a typo in the worship God. I can't. I cannot believe there's a typo in the worship God. We're gonna get distracted in the midst of worship, man. I can't believe that guy's got long hair. Why are they allowing that to happen? I don't know. And that guy's got earrings. What in the world's going on? We get distracted. But the reality is, children show us in that moment what worship really is about. It's simple. It's about focusing on Jesus and declaring our praise to him regardless of what others think about it. It's about focusing on Jesus, praising him, and it's about that relationship with him. And so in other words, they did two things in their worship. First, they worship, children do, they worship without reservation. I love how when the children, remember, the adults have declared out in the streets, Hosanna to the son of David. Here are the children inside the temple shouting, the Bible says. There are many ways that we might express our praise to the Lord. Psalm 149, verses 1 through 4, tells us to praise the Lord, tells us to sing to the Lord, tells us to rejoice in the Lord, and we're pretty good there. But it also tells us to dance before the Lord. Talk about making a Baptist uncomfortable. It also says to sing to the Lord with timbrel and with lyre. These are symbolic pictures of noisemakers like drums. I think we need a drum solo, Andrew. I mean, I'm I'm joking. Don't really, but. The whole point is this. We like to be sometimes reserved. It's it's too loud. The volume's a little too much. Somebody was, was somebody dancing over there? We get so uncomfortable, but children don't care. They worship the Lord without reservation. Why? Because they're not concerned about the opinion of man. They're focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, it leads them to respond. In this case, it leads them to shouting. Now listen, I'm not saying you need to shout out and we're trying to have a competition to be who's loud, but the reality is this. When you get excited, you naturally shout out. And I realize some of us are more expressive than others, but can I just give a practical illustration of that? Y'all know I'm a sports fan? You know I'm an Alabama fan, right? No one has to tell me how to shout at an Alabama game. (laughs) This past November, I had the opportunity to go with my boys to an Alabama game. And I was not preaching that very next day, partly because we were driving back, but partly because I didn't have a voice anyway. When there's excitement, there's exuberance, and you shout out, there's a celebration. Listen, when was the last time you were so consumed with the presence of God and his glory in your life and his blessings that it brought you to a place where you shouted out, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus? Hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah. I'm not trying to be funny, but... like When was the last time you were so overwhelmed that you shouted praise to the Lord for who he is and for what he's done in your life? Children worship without reservation. I remember years ago, I think it was the first year of Vacation Bible School I had ever been to or been a part of as a pastor. I remember we were so excited. And the reason I think it was the first year is because I remember as a congregation, we had just got to the point where we had like 100 people on Sunday mornings and we were so excited. And within those 100 people, we had about 15 children. And I remember making the decision as the Lord was leading, we're gonna have Vacation Bible School this summer. And I remember two things about that. The first thing I remember is that on the second night of VBS, we had 100 children. And it was crazy because we had just started having that on Sunday mornings, 100 children. But the other thing I remember is that after the second night of VBS, one of our leaders came up to me with a great concern. The great concern was this. There was a little boy in her group who was very, very loud in worship. In fact, he would scream, At parts of the song. And she just was so concerned. This is so distracting. I don't think people are paying attention to the words. I don't know that they really know what they're saying. He's just a distraction pastor. We need to do something. To be clear, this lady loved Jesus. And I knew what she was talking about because frankly, I was in the crowd that night. It was a little distracting. And I said, well, before we do anything, why don't we take tomorrow night, just kind of observe, and then we'll kind of go from there. Third night comes around. I'm standing off in the corner and I'm kind of watching this little guy like six or seven years old. And about halfway through the song, I realized what was happening. He wasn't screaming to be silly or to be a distraction. Here's what he was doing. He didn't have a great singing voice, first off. (laughs) But every time a line in the song had the name Jesus at the top of that little kid's lungs, he would shout out, Jesus! <laughs> and because he was so loud, whatever immediate words followed, it also kind of had that same tone. And I am beginning to realize what's happening literally is this, the poor guy can't sing, but every time he says the name Jesus, he's singing as loud as he possibly can. You know what I did at the end of that VBS that night when we had our closing session? I pulled him aside and said, hey, I need you to help me teach everybody how to sing like you. He was like, <laughs> me, <laughs> yeah. So I brought this little guy up on stage and every time we got to the name Jesus, we shouted it out to the top of our lungs. Why? Because that little guy knew how to worship without reservation and every one of us, adults included, needed to learn the example. But the second thing they learned, they, they worship without reservation and we kind of see it, don't we? They worship without fear. They were not afraid at what other people thought. They were not afraid of the religious, self-righteous, pharisaical leaders standing off in the corner watching their every action. They weren't afraid when the Pharisees looked at Jesus and said, do you not hear what these children, can you believe they're doing this? Can you believe that you're allowing, what are you allowing here, Jesus, them to shout and them to praise and this is not very reverent. They weren't afraid of that. You know why. They were just focused on Jesus, what he was worthy of. And like it or not, they were giving their best to him. So Jesus looked at the stuffy fuddy-duddies and he said, have you not heard that out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes I have prepared praise for myself? In other words, I want you to know these children have been divinely and sovereignly planned and placed here by God the Father so that I would be worshiped as the Savior. Hosanna, the Son of David. Final thing I want you to see this morning is simply this children can show us the importance of praising Jesus. There's a lot of things in life they teach us. But I want to close with this simple point because their primary example in Matthew 21 is about how they worship the Lord. I preached a message in 2017 that gave several things that children show us about praising Jesus. And I want to close with these same points as practical applications of how we worship the Lord. Number one, they show us that Jesus alone is the Savior and that He's worthy, key word, of all our praise. Why do we as adults often hold back so much? Why are we often so concerned about being reverent and being acceptable to others? They show us that Jesus alone is the Savior and worthy of our praise. Number two, they show us that Jesus welcomes praise from all who trust in him. Just as the children witnessed Jesus's acceptance of the blind, the lame, the crippled, the outcasts of society, as they came and worshiped the Lord and they saw that Jesus defended them, they show us that Jesus welcomes praise from all who trust in him. Thirdly, they show us that our private lives and our public gatherings should be filled with praise. Yes, if they could shout in the temple and be approved by the Lord Jesus Christ, then surely in our gatherings together, we can worship, we can praise, we can shout, we can glorify the Lord. May not only be in our public lives, may it also be true in our private lives away from this corporate gathering. Number four, our praise should be as it was with the children, without reservation and fear. Not that we're doing that to be seen or just doing that to be active, but because we're giving our all to the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, our praise should always point others to Jesus. These children were not bringing attention to themselves Their focus was so clearly on Jesus that immediately the Pharisees looked to Jesus and said, do you hear what they're saying about you? Their their praise was pointing everyone's attention to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. You know, the truth of the matter is today, there's a lot that we can learn from the example of children. But my hope and prayer for us today is that we will begin by learning how to be sensitive to the things of the Lord how to respond to the things of the Lord and how to worship him freely. Can I say to us over the course of this week as we get ready to go into Vacation Bible School, there's gonna be a lot of fun and excitement, Lord willing, but you're gonna see children worshiping freely. Next Sunday is VBS Sunday. And inevitably, most years of VBS Sunday, someone will call me or email me and say, well, I just felt uncomfortable with that hand motion. I felt uncomfortable, listen, listen, We're gonna worship the Lord Jesus Christ without reservation and without fear. And my hope and prayer is that we come with a humble, teachable spirit by what he shows us as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the ways that uh, you're working in our lives. Thank you for the ways that you're working in the lives of young people. Um, Lord, I pray even now as we go into this time of response that we'd really be considering Am I humble like a child? Am I sensitive to the things of the Lord like a child? Do I respond with surrender and obedience like a child? Do I worship freely like a child? And Lord, I pray today where there are obstacles and hindrances, I pray that we would seek your grace. Lord, where there may be sin in our life and we confess it and turn from it, Where there are hindrances, Father, may you give victory. I pray that we'd have freedom to love you, to serve you, to worship you without reservation today. But Lord, I pray especially if there's anyone here that does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they're saved. Jesus, you came and lived a sinless life. You died on the cross for our sins. You rose again from the grave so that all who believe in you and confess you as Lord will be saved. I thank you that it is so simple and easy that a child can be saved. And yet it is so profound that at times as adults, we make it very challenging. So God, would you help us today to make sure that we know you, that we're walking with you, and that we worship you the way that we ought to. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast